what we're talking about today is the recovery of spiritual passion when we're just not doing it. When we run up against uh, the wall, we encounter circumstances, we have those big questions, those crises of faith that kind of drain the life and vitality out of us. What do we do to come back? And then last week, we spent some time, uh, even you get to that point, we challenged you to think about that time, reflect about that time where you, you felt like you were close to God or you had some understanding of who he is, and, and then something happened and you felt like you lost it. To kind of come back and revisit that moment, and the encouragement was for you to trust, to trust that God is the only one that can bring life into you, right? Because that's the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity isn't about religious routines and, and, and rituals that you do to get God to love you, to approve of you, to, uh, you know, to pour out His spirit on you. The whole message of Christianity is that God created us to know, love, and follow Him, to experience Him in everyday life, just like you read about in the book of Genesis, like Adam was able to communicate with God face-to-face, and Eve was able to communicate with God face-to-face. God wants you to have that kind of experience. And when, when I come and I'm praying for you and I'm praying for our community, my, my passion is that we would have true spiritual life, that we would have a life-giving relationship with Jesus because I ultimately believe that that's exactly why Jesus came. That's the message of the Bible. It's like you're spiritually dead. You're, you're, you're looking around in dark places trying to find hope and light and things that are going to fill your heart. And they come up short and empty. God comes to offer you life, Jesus says, and to offer it to you abundantly, something that springs up, overflows, and breaks out of your life. And yet, when we look at Christianity in our country, it doesn't really feel like that. It doesn't really look like that. And what we're trying to do is to come back and say, God, how can we have that kind of experience? And so today, we, we, we think that we're coming to that place where we have lost it. The inevitable question comes to mind. Okay, I'm standing there and trusting God. What about all the crap I've been wrong? Is God really going to respond to me? Is He really forgiving us and Christ? And I want to encourage you today to let you know that that is true. That when you find yourself there, that that is exactly true. We find this in Psalm 139. I want you to think about this for a second before we read it, the first four verses. This is written by David, King David. It's saying David, that as a young preteen guy, early teen guy, took down Goliath. You know, he looked at this as God's name being crashed. He was going to do something that the entire Israelite army was not willing to do. And he did it with great faith. He becomes leader over the nation of Israel. He leads them extremely well. He's, he's known as a man after God's own heart. And at the height of his walk with Jesus, he does the unthinkable. He, he rapes a lady of life, kills that guy off, and tries to draw her into his family with this child to cover up everything that happened. And later in his life, I want you to think about all the positive experience from one peak to the deepest, deepest, deepest peak. He's looking back at his life and he's stuck right in his day. So when he's thinking about coming back and that whole process, these are the thoughts that go through his mind. Starting with the end of verse 1 through 4. O Lord, 
and he writes that as a cry, as a plea, right? Like a passive thing. It's like, oh Lord, I will here just crying out to God. You have searched me and you know me. So he's crying out to God in this idea of knowing that God knows. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my life. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So David is finally waiting. He's confirmed with the reality that there is no thing in your life. That God's not real. That God's knowledge of them is specific, is constant, and is complete. And you think about that. Let's pull that out a little bit. So Jesus' knowledge of me, you know, every person on the planet, is that specific. He knows us intimately and exhaustively. So you see this in verse 1. It says, You know what is verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts and my thoughts. I want you to think about this for a second. God is discerning. There's distinguishing with great understanding and insight. So God is looking at your life. He doesn't just know about you. He knows you. He knows the motives. He knows the actions. He knows every aspect of your life. He understands things about you that you don't even understand about yourself. So God is not on an awareness trip with you trying to figure out who you are and what makes you tick. He gets you. He's, he's gotten you your entire life, your entire existence. And you're on this self-discovery path. I'm on this self-discovery path trying to figure out who I am and what God wants to do in my life. And the truth is, is that God knows every aspect of our life. And He says, when I sit down and I rise up, you know my every move. Man, and you ever been so close to somebody, so aware of somebody that you could look at them and you know what they're about to do next? You ever kind of know that? Right? I know that when I'm joking around with my wife and I've gone too far, there's a look in her eye and what's coming next is my friend. I know they're next to me. And it's a distance. And distance is good sometimes because it's good for my husband. But it's this idea of knowing somebody so well that they anticipate their move. And he goes further, he says, not just when I sit down when I rise up, but he discerns my thoughts from afar. God knows your every thought. He knows what you're thinking. He you read your mind. You know, all of those thoughts that you're processing before you let out so that you can choke them up to protect yourself in it? God knows that. That's really intimidating and really creepy, isn't it? But this is the truth of who God is, and when God, He looks at you, and God knows you. And that's the beauty of this. Jesus knows everything there is to know about you, and it's, it's specific. Not in just general. He knows your every thought specifically, and in your every move specifically. He's got to figure out. He also knows, His knowledge of you is also constant. His knowledge of you is also constant. There's not like moments where God checks out of your life. It would be really convenient, wouldn't it? I would really like for God to kind of pick up on certain aspects of my life. Because then I get to create my own narrative, my own story as I hear Jesus, and just who I am, but I know there are parts of me that are never good at it. 
God's eyes that His Spirit is being beat into that. Where do you see this? Well, verse 3. You spiritual world, you spiritual world, it's like I'm trying to hold him, so I'm trying to go that way, but it's kind of funny, yeah, he's third again, all again. But dude, this is where you are. You know how that feeling? Is that you're trying to tell yourself the things are okay, but you deep down inside know that they're not okay, voice of God kind of calling you out on things. You think to me, I'm in a path, and you, you know my mind down, and, and I'm okay with all of my ways. It's constant. It's this encircling presence that you can't escape. These sorts of things that there's nothing missed. You see, we have a hard time. Because we live in a culture where we feel like we have to create a narrative of perspective. See, this isn't just something that I've lived in this past year, right? You know, so that's what the baby boomers do, right? We're more genuinely authentic. We're just a full class today, and I've raised my children. Look at our social media feeds for coming up. Your eyes are perfect. Everybody's perfect. Everyone's awesome. Wonderful. We're creating a narrative where we have it together. We even think, you know, at a higher level than everybody else. We, we, we want to create a story with this one passionate desire for us to be good. And what I want to tell you is that there's nothing wrong with that because that is a God-given desire as far as who He is and it's wired into every human being when we get on. Is that we do this in good faith? See, God is and the instructions and stuff. There's nothing new. He's acquainted. There's nothing concealed. He's acquainted with all my ways and those people. The picture that we see here is that there's a presence that you can escape. There's a knowledge that God has of you. That you can create, that you can't create, that you can't twist, that is clear. And then Jesus' knowledge of this is also complete. It's complete. We see this in verse 4. Even before a word is on your tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it even before your brain can start to process the thought of what you think you're going to say. Before any of that process happens, which we can say that the human brain is able to process 20 million cognitive actions in a second. And God can process all of that before your brain can find the orders and everything you see that. And he knows it before it even begins an electrical impulse in your mind. God knows everything. He knows what you say. He knows what we're about to say. Before we even think, God knows the thought. When we're wrestling with the thought of, I can't believe I did this, or why did I say, or why did I do that, that thought never occurs to God. He stopped him. And he truly Before the end. See, Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. And I want you to know what else I feel today. I want to give you a quote by a guy named A.W. Kidd. If you can't understand this, he's grappling with this idea. Here's a quote God knows everything. 
everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures, both past, the present, and the future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail of every life, of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs, never changes, never ever makes anything. Jesus knows everything there is to know about you. Is that where you live your life? And for our honesty before God, God knows a million things that make you much stronger. But you choose your own life. You need it before I was ever you know what was going to happen before I ever knew I was going to do these things. You know my innocent moments. And you know my dark, dark moments. You know my great thoughts and you know my dark thoughts. You know the times that I desire you and the times that I can you. You know everything. And God chooses to choose This is where it changes you. We're trying to recover our passion and we approach Jesus and say, God, I need you to be my life. And just like that's what the call of salvation is, it's something that happens to me and continues to happen for the rest of my life here on earth. This is what you talked about with me. To make me alive in Christ. And there are days where I deny that, that I resist that, that I support that. And God says, I still choose you. So we're going to reach into your life. There was no pretense that you were going to be aware of every day of your life. Who knows what you're going to be 20 years from now? And you still lose it. What do you do? Let's do this in verse 5. You, in the end, behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. This, this idea of being hemmed in is where it's an idea of an ambush. It's, it's using military language here. It's a surprise attack on you. So if you think you're going about your life distant and separated from God, rebelling from Him, resisting Him, you're too far gone. God looks, He pursues you, He picks up on you, He jumps on you, He hems you in. He surrounds you, He ambushes you. But why would He do that? We're thinking in the military, He ambushes me to kill me, to annihilate me, to extinguish me. But this is not what he does. He says, I know you, and, and I hemmed you in behind and before, and I lay and he lays his hand on us. And what we find in that moment when God lays his hand on us is something very, very beautiful. He lays us in, behind and before. So we look behind us and we find a God who is blotting out our sins. We look before us and we see a gracious loving God calling us close to him. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to escape. We can't run backwards to escape from him. We can't march and out maneuver him to, to get past his presence. He's always there. He chooses to have a He chooses to have 
thing goes on, you can you look at that last part of the book, and then you lay your hand on me, and this is like, here's where it comes in, man, here's where God's at, here's where his judgment comes in. This phrase here, the English language is really deceptive. In the original language of the New Testament, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger picture. It's an illustration. When you lay your hand on somebody, and in the original language, if you have to have a hold of something that's flipping away from you that you don't want to hear. He handles the things. So that is, and the way he handles it's an act of rescue. It's an act of redemption. It's an act of passion and desire. This is not good. It isn't wrapped as soon as I know it's interesting until we come to our senses. The picture is that he writes the kingdom for so many of us in the world. It's like that that we that we would that we just the loving instruction of our parents that we to do something to bring great things in the world that our kids grab hold of that we're taking and training to hold our parents to the things that we are This is what he's talking about. What would your life look like if you believe that truth that God ambushes you and leaves his hand on you to rescue you, to value you, to treasure you? What does that do in your life? Did you believe that you still have your faith? It makes you want to start taking this pain and hunger back. It's in that moment that for the first time in your life, to experience the genuine delight of God. Think about it here. Think about it here today. Come on, 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 and he comes back with his incredible statement. He says, all of this is a process, all of this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I can't attain it. It is big. It's much larger than I can wrap my head and my heart around. I can hardly endure to think about it, God. It, it, it's just too overwhelmingly good. You are too overwhelmingly good to a person who is rebelled and is, and is inconsistent at best. It's too high. I can't even understand why you wouldn't, why you would do this, why you wouldn't just reject me. But this is how God responds to people that are like this. When you finally start to think, there's a part of your heart that starts to come alive. And then, I 
to receive the joy that He has in to be personal and He treasures you. Amen.